Welcome to Into the Well. I'm your host, Ryan Wilms. I started this show as a place to share my experiences and my journey towards living authentically and mindfully, and also to learn from those who are truly walking the path, healing themselves and inspiring others. By balancing the mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual, we can learn to live in harmony with ourselves and our environment. We'll be exploring different tools and modalities used to create sustainable well-being for a fulfilling life. So thank you for joining me. On this episode of the podcast, I speak with David Joe, founder of Motive NY, a really cool and inspiring physiotherapy studio in New York that's really grown outside of the walls of the studio itself. And they've created a really inspiring culture uh, that includes weekend trail runs and races and cold plunges. And they're working with different brands on different series of content and activations. And it's definitely not your average physiotherapy studio. They work with people coming back from injuries, rehabbing, but also David is working to change the mindset to how can we prevent these injuries? How can we stay healthy and keep that sustainable? David also talks about his experience as a triathlete, getting into running, inspired by working with the patients that he had and what he learned from that and some of the ways that we can stay healthy as triathletes as myself and others embark on this road to 70.3 journey. Lastly, uh, David shares a little bit of his insight and experience recently with all this sort of racism in in America and on the Asian communities. And as an Asian American man, his perspective and what he's maybe begun to think about in different ways, which I think is a really important um, conversation to have today and moving forward. So keep an eye out for more content coming with David and myself to support triathlon and running, um, some movement practices, but for now, enjoy the conversation. Thank you. All right. So first off, I just want to say thanks David for being here and for, for taking the time and to connect. And, um, I'm glad we finally reached out, uh, to you on Instagram recently and, uh, been a fan from afar of what you're doing with motive and in New York. So yeah, it's great to connect and chat now. Brian, I really appreciate your, uh, your time and uh, appreciate the invite, man. Been looking forward to this. Um, also, been following your journey for for quite a bit, so uh, it's really nice to connect. Yeah, definitely. Well, I imagine we've got like a lot of sort of people in common, probably maybe have come through the studio in New York, and um, yeah, people in the sort of fashion, creative, and also like athlete space. Uh, so yeah, I guess um, maybe just you can quickly like introduce yourself say where you are and, and give a quick sort of brief description of what Motive is. Yeah, sure. I'm a physical therapist and one of the co-founders of Motive New York, a physical therapy and training studio in downtown New York. And I'd say uh, over the past few years, our vision has been to create a community of athletes from all different sports, uh, backgrounds and experiences to find common ground in, in one space. Uh, and another major effort has been to create a brand around our version of physical therapy. You know, Motive is a physical therapy studio you mentioned, but it seems like a lot more, at least from sort of observing from the outside, seeing through Instagram and the website, it feels like a pretty rich community environment. You know, you guys are doing events together, regular runs and stuff, like well outside the studio, going out into nature, jumping in the ocean. Um it seems like this really sort of supportive community um, that looks like 
a pretty cool engagement. You know, it's not really what I imagine the typical physiotherapy studio to be really. Yeah, Luke and I always envisioned building a business off the idea that physical therapy and training uh, lived on the same continuum instead of separately. Uh, the goal was always to build a team of PTs and coaches and other healthcare practitioners that spoke the same language, uh, appreciated the sport the same way, and can learn from each other. Yeah, the last few years since the idea was conceptualized, um, you know, the, the vision and even the mission has evolved. Our practice has attracted a really diverse group of athletes and has uh, really grown to a unique community over time. Um, you know, we have competitive pro-level athletes who uh, weekend warriors, but, you know, I think what brings everyone together is, is not just, um, you know, the, the need to rehab from injury, but also wanting to learn and, and prevent injury from recurring. So, yeah, the, the, from the one-on-one services, we've been able to develop community-focused uh, classes and workshops and, and have also um, created an outdoor series to, to really drive uh, some of these concepts home and, and facilitate this lifestyle. I think this is why we've been somewhat successful in creating a lifestyle brand and, and, and a brand identity uh, in such a like organic way. Um, and, and, you know, it's really opened up a lot of doors to other opportunities um, and, and has allowed us to adapt to uh, what mm-hmm. the community needs and offer um, offer things that are just beyond physical therapy. And like growing up, like I've, you know, played sports and like had injuries and physical therapy to me was always something like you do the least amount of possible so you can just like get back to the sport and then leave it behind. But like you said, there's been this, it feels like, you know, from somebody who's not like a professional in that space, but sort of worked in it as a, as a customer or client that there's a huge shift in terms of that alignment, like you said, with like the coaching and training also with the rehab. And it's like, you know, beyond just getting back to like a functioning pain-free place. It's like, well, how can we now, you know, prevent any future injuries, work out any imbalances, and then find some sort of optimization, you know, in mind and body. And it feels like, you know, you guys are one of the studios that I can see that's doing that in a more sort of integrated way, but it seems like that's been a huge, like recent evolution in in that space. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think, um, I think you're right. I think there's like, I see a lot of practices, um, creating a space where, you know, training and physical therapy kind of live in the same, same place, but, you know, we've really been able to kind of facilitate connection beyond that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been, uh, it's been nice to see it kind of grow organically in that way. Um, and I, I think like, from, from my point of view, like really just getting people outside of these doors and outside into nature is like another layer of just connection, you know? And so, um, that's been, that's been fun to see. Yeah, definitely. So going back into your own sort of personal journey a little bit, maybe you can share about like where you grew up and, uh, you know, what kind of sports maybe you were playing as a kid and as a teenager, and then you're sort of, you know, you mentioned to me earlier your decision between sort of following the arts or getting into science and what that sort of choice was like. Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, I grew up in, in Newark, New Jersey, uh, until like grade school and, and I made my way to Princeton. Um, and, uh, yeah, my, my parents had always encouraged me to like, uh, explore the arts. So, you know, I, I spent a lot of time drawing, painting and, and learning music. Um, but, uh, yeah, also, like, I'm fortunate enough to, to, to have the opportunity to, like, 
explore a few sports. Um, that I didn't have access to a whole lot when I, when I was in Newark, but my dad had uh, uh, invested in, in tennis lessons. And so I grew up um, playing, playing tennis when I was young. And so, you know, and also a lot of basketball. My, my, my dad was uh, a really big basketball player. So, uh, yeah, we, uh, you know, it was through my parents where I was, like, exposed to a lot of these things and not not necessarily where I was living. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, yeah. I don't know if that answered your question, yeah. Because I feel like New Jersey almost feels like this kind of foreign place to many people, like, it yeah. can it's kind of urban in some areas, but then it's like also can be really rural. Sure. Uh, what were you in more of a like city like setting or was it more of like pretty suburban? So Newark was definitely more uh, urban mm-hmm. and, um, and it really like wasn't a whole lot as far as like um, from a community standpoint, it was not, not a whole lot to do. Uh-huh. Um, at least how I grew up. And um, when we made our way to Princeton, uh, then there was this, there was like giant emphasis on like team sports. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, that I was, that was really unfamiliar to me to be honest. So, you know, I ended up, I think tennis just, you know, finding sports that, uh, like individual sports instead of team sports was where I kind of, um, felt most, most comfortable. So, mm-hmm. you know, I stayed with tennis and then later on, you know, uh, went into explore other, other, uh, sports like triathlons and running mm-hmm. but all kind of a little bit in that theme of the individual pursuit yeah exactly exactly so how did you get uh, like what made you decide to get into physical therapy as like a profession um yeah when I, you know when i was young i i, I think I, I had a decision to make um you know i i loved drawing painting and the arts um and so, you know, that was something I, I really can get lost in, but I also love the sciences and, and I was good at it. And, you know, with my parents pushing me in that direction, I, I, I kind of ended up in this medical field and mm-hmm. um, physical therapy was something that, that really appealed to me. Um, so one of the stories that I remember is uh, I was playing basketball, like in a rec league and, and um, I had sprained my ankle uh, one of the parents had come out of the, the stands and, and come over to like take care of my, my ankle and just told me to put my foot on a, a basketball and kind of roll it out, uh, roll it on top of it so that, so that I can just you not know, continue moving it. And it felt better after that. So that kind of um, paved the path for me to get into physical therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, you know, it turned out physical therapy was, was a great fit. You know, um, I felt it was, it's, it's a profession where you can be really autonomous as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was important to me. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, a profession like that, I imagine you've got to have a pretty good ability to listen and be observing. Cause you know, you're going to handle like an acute injury, but you've got this whole person there and like everything is connected. You know, is that, have you found that that skill has like evolved or do you always have that sort of observant, uh, ability to listen and sort of take in this bigger picture to help help somebody or help the situation like that. Uh, yeah, I think that that was the other thing. You know, just being one on one with the person was was something that like I learned to love and I and I figured out that I was good at. Um, and I think that's really that was really the only way like 
that's the only way you can really uh, see healing, you know, um, mm-hmm. and it's to make build rapport, build a connection. And so that was something that resonated with me. And so, yeah, the, the one-on-one um, piece of the physical, of physical therapy was, was what attracted me. Yeah. That's cool. And then what was it like sort of getting into that industry? Like, I imagine you come out of school and you start at the bottom and like a, maybe a big office or something like that. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I mean, that, that's exactly what happened. So you know, <laughs> after physical therapy school, you end up in, um, especially in New York, there's a lot of practices that run like, like mills, you know, and you're seeing a ton of patients, um, every hour. You know, at one time I was seeing five patients an hour. Wow. Uh, for the whole day. So like, you know, I could see up to like 20, you know, 24 patients, uh, a day. Seems crazy. And <laughs> yeah. Like who, who gets better from that, you know? Yeah. And, um, and you know, a lot of it has to do with, you know, overhead, you know, like, mm-hmm. so you really have to kind of turn them out. Um, at least, at least that that's one model. Um, and so you see that a lot, you know, that's where I ended up like falling into, um, and I did that for, uh, I got kind of stuck in that system for probably like six, seven years. Um, and that's kind of where we started to see, uh, you know, that, that there was, there was, there could be something different, you know? And, and, and also during that time, I was also training a lot of these clients that was being discharged. So a lot of, a lot of my patients that were being discharged, I was training them on the side, which wasn't happening you know, in the clinic, mm-hmm. people were just getting pain-free and that was their, their goal there. You know, that was yeah. really the, uh, the, the point there. So, um, you know, sort of formulate a little bit of a plan on, on, uh, and strategy on how to like create something different. And that's kind of how uh, motive was uh, developed. Yeah. And I'm curious to know as well, like in the education process, like in school and in those early days, um, you know, is it more about just like treating that acute issue or is there any sort of emphasis on like, you know, well, what other stresses are going on in your life? What kind of diet and nutrition are you like using? Is, was there much of a holistic approach or is that something that you had to sort of learn on your own just through experience? Yeah, not at all. Not at all. I, you know, I think, um, my experience was, uh, you know, pretty, pretty one-dimensional in, in, in many ways. Um, and so it wasn't as holistic as, as you like. Um, you know, it, it turned out like a lot of the curriculum was created so that you can, it created so that you pass the boards. Right. And so they cover everything that would go in, into, in that test, you know? And so, um, and once you pass and once you're out of school, that's really when you start to get a better picture of what, you know, the world is like and, mm-hmm. and how people respond and heal, you know, how people yeah. actually respond. And it's not just mm-hmm. a mobilization or some soft tissue technique, you know, um, you know, everything has to work together. So you got to really kind of consider everything. And that's where it was after school uh, when I really started to pick that up. Yeah. So you said you were kind of in that like early version of like the, the PT mill for six, seven years. And then you started to, did you go straight from like one of those bigger firms into opening motive yourself or was it, what was the transition there? And 
when you first started thinking about motive, like what were some of the initial sort of ideas that were like, this is what I want to do and how it was going to be different? Yeah, I remember, I remember the transition being pretty tough, mm-hmm. um, which I think, you know, really adds to the story. But uh, after six, seven years working on the mill, you know, you, you really don't know what else is different. And so, mm-hmm. at least for me, I was kind of like, I knew there's other ways out there. So, um, but the transition was tough, you know, uh, from my even financial standpoint, I felt like it was really important um, to make sure I was still covered. So I ended up working like four jobs um, when I, when I had decided to leave that system, you know? And so I had four different jobs, whether it was like going to people's homes, like a concierge physical therapist, uh, or just working at other clinics that, that allotted more time per uh, patient. And so um, these out of network um, uh, practices, uh, you know, allowed us to, you know, allowed me to see people for about like 45 minutes to an hour. And so that was something that, that resonated with me and something that I wanted to do, just really like um, helps with the, the, you know, the quality of care. And so, um, yeah, after the, after four jobs, uh, a few months of that, I, you know, we, my, my, my business partner, Luke, uh, and I, we ended up finding a, we worked with, uh, a, um, CrossFit owner, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, we, we, we were working with a, uh, an owner of a CrossFit gym downtown. And so we, and I'm carving out a little bit of space um, in the corner of that gym and started building from there. Oh, that's cool. Um, is CrossFit it something you've ever like got? Did you ever get involved with it or try it out yourself? I mean, who didn't, right? Like <laughs> that, it was so hot at that time. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I, that was that was definitely something I had fun with. And 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 you know, that that community is so um it's it's that community is so big and it's uh, and so tight, you know? Mm-hmm. And so if it wasn't for that community, I don't think we would be where we are or we wouldn't have gotten to where we are so quickly. Um, yeah. So we are because of them, you know, I mean, yeah, the, the programming is, the programming is, it's tough and, and now it's a lot on the body. So mm-hmm. everyone came to see us. Yeah. I, bet. <laughs> I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it was, um, yeah, it was a great place to start. Um, and so that's kind of how we built a clientele and started to build that reputation. Um, and, um, yeah, we, that was like probably our first three years of motive. Yeah, that's cool. It's, I mean, it's always interesting and, and cool to hear like those stories of like going out on your own and, you know, it can be so scary and you're really like following your gut to do that. And then, you know, carving out the little bit in the gym and slowly building it up and, uh, it's so easy for somebody like me who's, you know, found what you guys are doing like in the last year, year and a half and be like, oh, you guys have this sick studio and you're like working with BMW and these other brands. And it's like, you know, you've just probably been crushing it forever. But, you know, the, the journey is is slow and there's a lot of hard work and, you know, you got to roll up your sleeves a lot along the way, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. We have gone through a lot more of that um, than the 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 sexy stuff we yeah. we've only just gotten to our new space downtown um was, i think it was like september october of 2019 mm-hmm. 
And so before that, we were in um, three different spaces. And so small, small spaces and in different parts of downtown New York, trying to kind of like cultivate this community. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, you know, we it all started in other people's spaces, but mm-hmm. it was, you know, at some point we realized that we really couldn't do like we kind of hit a, uh, hit a ceiling when it came to like serving this community mm-hmm. in these spaces where we weren't really autonomous in, you know, we kind of just rented out these uh, back room. Yeah. And so, um, you know, it took us two years to find the space that we're in now. And, and, uh, yeah, we, you know, it really, um, it really allows us to do whatever we want to do, you yeah. know, and, and, and even during like the pandemic, um, that was really, really key for us. Yeah, I can imagine. And, you know, like from the outside, Motive has this sort of brand presence of its own. And, you know, I mentioned you guys have worked with some other great brand partners on different projects from like, it seems like Strava and BMW and uh, I think Adidas and and I don't know, like the list is probably like pretty decent with some of the better names in, in the sports space. And you guys are creating content as well. So, you know, it's it's a pretty sort of, rich experience i guess and so when did that sort of start to evolve or once you got your own space was that something that you're like okay we need to kind of like put our own stamp on this in some way yeah and once the brand identity was uh fleshed out and and more defined we were able to get some looks from brands like bmw who gave us cars to to use on escapes out of new york city Uh, nike and adidas to help build their respective running communities and even get to cross promote with uh, smaller local businesses in, in downtown New York. So I'm proud to say that we're probably one of the first in the space to work with brands the way we do. And, and hopefully we're paving the way for other practices to do the same because I think physical therapy desperately needs uh, a new identity. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of crazy. You guys got your, your space that you're in now at the end of 2019. And then obviously early 2020, you know, the world kind of got flips upside down and New York being at like probably one of the scarier epicenters of the pandemic. Um, I'm curious to know a little bit more about what that sort of was like as a, you know, a small business owner that was about that connection with people and how you guys were able to sort of pivot or evolve and use online, use the outdoors and, and sort of keep going. Yeah, uh, 2020 was definitely a ride for us. I mean, um, we had already planned to go digital. Um, and, you know, when we first got into this space, we, 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 you know, it was a space that was where we can create content. So we thought that was, that was important um, to start to explore. And so we actually had created an app um, where we can, you know, where we can share content and, and, um, you know, where, where people can like sign up for classes and, um, you know, like, uh, you can sign up for classes and, uh, buy programs and things like that. Um, you know, yeah. So, so basically we, we've, we were prepared to go digital, but many, like many like PT practices and, and, and fitness studios during the pandemic, you know, we're kind of forced to do that. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, we explored a bunch of things online and I started with a virtual physical therapy, um, that was new to, uh, new to us. Um, but it actually worked out 
worked out quite well. I thought um, made me realize that like my skills don't just uh, start and end at the table mm-hmm. uh, with like the manual treatment, um, but it, it's it's also not just exercise. But it's also about education. And so I was uh, a lot of the team here was able to take care uh, of our clients, you know, virtually, which was I thought really powerful. Um, the we had a, we have a great coaching team. Um, you know, at the time we had to we pivoted to IG Live classes, and we ended up um, doing IG Live classes like five days, like all all week, mm-hmm. and we did that for a few months, and that really uh, allowed us to keep kind of the community together. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, that was great, and um, yeah, you know, we continued to like work on digital programs um, for people to purchase and. That was that was something we pivoted to, and and also a lot of the outdoor programming too. So everything that we that was happening in the studio, we try to do it um, outside of the studio in like the different parks. So that was that was quite successful. Yeah, I know for me, like following your Instagram, I mean, there's lots of little workouts and movement pattern things that were it looked like the you know Chinatown soccer fields or something like that in New York and, you know, easy to follow, easy, like, okay, I can like integrate this into my, my warm up or my, um, like strength or mobility sessions and be like, um, you know, I found a lot of that stuff was like helpful and good guide. And definitely like, there's a bunch of motive posts in my like saved IG, um, for that that. specifically. But yeah, I'm curious to know, like, you know, lots of the people listening to this are going to be based all over the U S and Canada you know, and the ability now to work with somebody like you without being in New York, you know, is, is cool. And, you know, to be able, be able to work virtually, um, what was that experience like for you? You know, in my mind, physical therapy is so much about the manual, like touch and even just being like close with somebody so you can see how they're moving, you know, in that same environment, you know, what was the, some of the sort of changes and is there any benefits that you've sort of had from that experience as well yeah um i definitely had more opportunities to work with people like from from everywhere and that that was fun that was fun I, you know that's not something that, that i really thought about just because we're kind of stuck with this idea of physical therapy just being a person mm-hmm. um i work with people like in brazil in paris i work with people and you know from, from all over the country and so that was that was really fun to explore um but you know, I think the virtual thing, um, one of the things that kind of stood out to me was um, I'm hyper-focused on you and the screen for the whole session. And so I can't look away, you know, not, not really. And so when we're talking, when I'm talking, like you're listening and then vice versa, uh, when you're moving, I'm looking at the, the screen, I'm just watching, you know, I'm watching it closely. Yeah. And so that, that session ended up being, you know, uh, just hyper focused, you know, right. and, and um, and that was cool, you know. It it, it ended up being pretty exhausting, actually. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> uh, just partially because it was so different, you know, and and um, but I thought that was a component that really helped people get better. They 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 felt like they were being um heard and 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 um and you know supervised and and that was what uh you know, people really enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine that sort of strips away like a lot of the potential distractions 
yeah. for probably both people as well. You know, if you're like in the studio, maybe you're looking around, maybe you're like, you know, joking or asking whatever, like I could see that that could be, you know, really zeros it in. Yeah. So um, injury is obviously like a big part of what you deal with, I imagine. And I feel like it's been a big part of my life in the last eight years, having done like both ACLs, um, you know, other sort of knee sprains and just recently having my first bike crash, which has been sort of painful as well. Um, anybody who's probably like pretty active with their body is going to run into injury. So I wonder, you know, from your perspective, like, what does, what do you see with the mental side of injury? Like something I've been sort of more aware of recently is this idea of just like accepting reality. I think sometimes when I've got injured, I've wanted to like not go get checked out or not go get the x-ray because I don't want to know how bad it is maybe. And I can sort of deny my sort of reality and just pretend I can keep going. But in order to actually heal and get healthy, we need to be like, okay, this is the reality. I need to, you know, do whatever the next steps are in an informed, educated way. I wonder what you see from the sort of mental side of people sort of getting injured and then coming through that and how it can be maybe even beneficial in the long run. Yeah, I think um, kind of reframing and uh, looking at our, like our relationship with injury a little bit differently is important. Um, you know, I think like too often, most people are reactive with their injuries, right? And, and um, I think we really do need to take a proactive approach. And that's, that's really, really challenging if we look at what, what is the tr- traditional definition of physical therapy. You know, like normally we, physical therapy, when you hear physical therapy, you think, um, you know, post-op, you think, uh, chronic injury, you think pain and, 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 um, it's not, it's not sexy. It's something you probably want to like hold off on for as long as possible mm-hmm. most of the time, you know? Um, but if we look at, uh, you know, if, if we're able to look at it, um, as something that we could prevent, um, I think that's, that would be powerful, you know? And so that's, that's definitely one thing that I think we, that we at least here at Motive, we're trying to do is trying to re- reframe that and and to get people to want to come in and and check things out you know and, and that's mm-hmm. something that i've always wanted to do is try to try to get people to understand that like it's okay you can you can come to me and, and talk to me before you're injured mm-hmm. you know and and that's really going to save you time and money down down the road and so you know same same way like dentists like you get a checkup with a dentist you know was it twice a year like you should be coming to physical therapy twice a year and just like checking with your physical therapist and, and go through like a, a movement analysis or, you know, an assessment and seeing like, what are some of like the, uh, some of your issues. And so, you know, I think the most important thing is that, um, like knowing that that's a possibility and that they can, you can get some direction, you know? And so, uh, treating, your body and, and taking care of your body in a more proactive way instead of more, instead of reacting. And, um, I think, I think that's a big one. Um, yeah, I think like just spending time with a physical therapist will help you set your expectations as well. You know, and, and I think a lot of people, especially as you, as you're aging and also you've had a lot of experience in any particular sport, um, you, 
you know, you, you end up, you know, you, you're not so sure what your, how your body's going to respond, you know, because a lot of this like wear and tear kind of accumulates and, and you, again, you just don't know when injury's going to happen. And so if we can figure that out before you get injured, I think that's really powerful. And then also just like knowing um, what to expect. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, the idea of like treating it like the sort of dentist perspective is really, you know, I've never really thought of somebody or I don't know anybody who's like, yeah, I'm going to just go get checked out and see how I'm moving, you know, on like a regular cadence. But that seems like it would be a really smart idea. Um, Cause that could be like a couple hundred dollars a year. And it could, like you said, save you a ton of trouble. And I, and, and for me, I feel like as I get older, I'm more aware of like how our bodies change and evolve. So like I grew up playing soccer and baseball and basketball. And so like between all of those sports, my body could pretty much do anything. But then as I become like an adult and I'm sitting in a desk a lot more, and then maybe I'm just doing running. If I want to go play soccer or basketball, like that could spell some serious trouble. Like I'm primed to injure myself because I'm not used to doing any of those movements. And I feel like, you know, a lot of people are getting into tennis these days and that's a really complicated movement sport as well. So I wonder like, you know, if anyone's thinking about like, maybe I'm going to start running or maybe I'm going to start cycling or maybe I'm going to start playing tennis. Like, you know, it'd probably be a good idea to, you know, just go get a checkup and maybe even get some like exercise direction on like what sort of foundational things they can do to sort of prime their body for new movements. Because I feel like, you know, the new movement could be dangerous in some ways, but also now that I'm doing some triathlon stuff, I'm like, okay, you know, I can feel my body almost getting stiff or strong in different ways. And that's going to create potentially an imbalance in another way. So it's just like this organic evolving thing that is always needs like some rebalancing, I guess. I think that's a great pickup. Um, you know, over time, our body's going to assume a shape, you know, and, and most of the time it's going to end up being something that you've been repeating over and over and over again. And that's, a lot of us sitting, you know, and so we're, we're sitting for hours at a, at a time and then we're expecting our bodies to perform in another shape, you mm-hmm. know, and, um, that definitely ends up with injury, you know? And so, um, I think, you know, you brought up a great point. If you're trying to explore a sport that's new, uh, or even trying to, you're considering, uh, a different, you know, doing this sport at a different intensity, um, or maybe going for a race, you know, you should go get a checkup. You know, I think that's like a great way to, um, kind of position it, you know, and, and, um, yeah, I'm going to use that actually. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm curious to learn a little bit more of sort of your experience as an athlete. Um, I know that in the last few years you've done some triathlete, uh, stuff uh, got into cycling and uh, and uh, running as well especially so maybe you can sort of share a little bit of like how you got into those sports and what your sort of journey with that has been yeah i got into endurance sports because of my patients mm. so uh, i would say probably five six years now i've been um exploring the the uh, triathlons and you know all the different sports uh like running trail running uh, cycling 
Um, and that, that's, that's been great. Um, but it all started with trying to relate to my patients. Um, I, I just remember the last place I worked at, you know, we worked with a lot of, um, a lot of triathletes and, uh, we were actually, we're just taking care of a triathlon team. And, um, and so it was really important for me to be able to speak the same language. And so I ended up signing up for a triathlon. Um, and, you know, I, I, I did the different distances, um, still need to check off Ironman. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it, that's kind of where it all started. And I learned very quickly that endurance sports was very therapeutic for me. And, um, you know, and, and in some ways you're able to check out, you know, in some ways you're, you know, you're able to like hone in on, on like what your body is doing, you know? And so it was all, it was a definitely a learning experience for me. So yeah, triathlons was, you know, I had a couple, I had a couple of solid seasons as a, as a triathlete. Um, but it took up a lot of time. So I, uh, commend you for, for your, you know, <laughs> taking on your, your journey. Um, but yeah, it, it was a lot of time and, um, I decided to pick the sport of running to, to stick with. And, um, there, yeah, I, I, I basically like found running crews, uh, here in New York city and, and, and decided to explore those, um, it started with, uh, resident runners and orchard street runners, uh, in downtown New York. And that really helped me look at running differently. It was very social, you know, and, and, and I happened to pick some pretty fast groups. And so I ended up, you know, improving, uh, improving my times. I had done a few marathons and now I'm, I'm more focused on trail these days. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's something that, that, uh, I've been, me and some friends have been trying to, um, escape New York to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, it's, it's, so those are some of the reasons why you see that a lot, um, with our programming here at Motive. Yeah. What do you find the differences with the experience of like road running, like marathon running training versus the trail experience? Yeah. I think like, the you know, the training on pavement here in the city can be quite brutal and can set you up for um injury as well mm-hmm. you know and so i didn't haven't dealt with a whole lot of injury uh running in the city but um it, i definitely feel like it, it does quite a bit to my body um and it stresses my body in in, in in you know different ways and so i feel like trail running has been um a great tool for me to uh create kind of variability in my training yeah and it's, you know, obviously, yeah, it just works like it, it challenges the body in many very different ways. Yeah. I think for me, like it requires a different level of presence, I guess. Like you can get into like a rhythm on the road or on a sidewalk or something, but like in the trail, it's such, such varied terrain that you like really need to stay present. You know, the movement's so much more varied as well. I remember when I first started doing some trail runs and races in, in the near Vancouver. And I was just like, it's so fun. Like some of my favorite running memories are, are in the trails and the mountains and stuff. It's just, uh, I don't know. Yeah. It feels more, there's something almost more like primal about it, I guess that it's easier to get into a bit more of that sort of flow state. Um, Whereas running, like you can in the city on the roads, you can still kind of like get in your mind and worry about stuff. And 
Mm, or what your time is maybe like as well if you're in the mountains and trails like if you're not racing like there's no splits there's no you're not really looking at paces that kind of goes out the window so it's kind of just more of a free experience i guess yeah the the way i like to put it is is i get to play when i'm trail running you know and 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 it feels it's a different type of uh um you know relationship and a uh, different type of experience when you're out there in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I definitely feel it's, it's definitely different. Um, yeah, it's definitely different. Yeah. With the triathlon, I'm curious to know, like, you know, I haven't even done my first triathlon race yet. I'm planning to do three this year with the half Ironman and at the end of the year, what were some of the biggest challenges or surprises for you as you got into the sport? Yeah. You're bringing me back, man. <laughs> um, I think, I mean, the swimming is not my yeah. sport. And so, um, I, I found that like, I also joined a group at that time to kind of kickstart my, my, uh, uh, my journey, um, at that time. And, and I just thought, you know, some of the, the best, some of the better triathletes are not to be like swimmers, mm-hmm. you know, I think, um, that just because this that's something like it's hard to really pick up as an adult for me it was uh definitely uh you know just like picking up swimming again and then finding time you know to, uh, with a, a swimming pool in your city yeah. is, is, is expensive and um and also just trying to find time to swim where there's you know not a million people in the pool so i ended up i would be swimming at like you know eight or nine o'clock at night after my you know yeah. after work and so um yeah, that was that was quite uh, time consuming and, and expensive in many ways. How about like in your first races, like going through the transitions and things like that? Was it like surprisingly easy or hard, or was any like things where you're like that you learned quickly that you needed to sort of change or do differently? Uh, that that was definitely something I practiced was was the transitions. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't practice a ton, but I definitely spent a little bit of time with it because, uh, you know, a lot of people say it's the fourth sport, right. you know, you, you know, that, that does make a difference and it does set the tone for the next thing, mm-hmm. you know? And so if you don't know what you're doing, when you get off, you know, the bike, um, and you don't know where things are, you know, you just, it's not like second nature, then you're just going to be fumbling. And next thing you know, you're just fumbling into your run, yeah. you know? And so um transition is absolutely something like kind of make a break experience in my mm-hmm. opinion um and you know what you don't want is like lose something you know yeah. like drop something that you that you need and so uh yeah it's just like practicing that i thought was really really important um yeah that 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 was that's definitely one thing yeah how about in your experience in, in working with triathletes like are there certain sort of injuries or preventative techniques that you've found to be sort of common that can be helpful or, or sort of potholes to look out for in terms of, um, like common triathlete issues. I would say the easiest way to answer that question is just kind of break it down into the different sports. And, um, some of the most common injuries in cycling would be, you know, hip pain, uh, neck or back pain you know, these positions can be really compromising, especially over hours in the saddle. So trying to create appropriate tension and produce power from these positions can really take 
at all all the time mm -hmm. when it comes to running. Yeah, we're dealing with a lot of repetitive strain at the hip, knee, and ankle. So you're really at risk of developing, you know, tendon problems and, and even stress fractures if you're not, you know, putting the work in to become resilient in this specific sport. Mm. With swimming, um, shoulder impingement can be an issue, especially since we're almost never overhead. So um, doing the work required to be comfortable and familiar with the overhead position is really key. Mm -hmm. Yeah, ultimately, we just need to remember that our bodies work in chains and then all the parts need to work together. Um, some of the potholes I see with a lot of drivers is just simply not having the prerequisite hip flexion or extension, which can be damaging uh, up or down the chain in any of the three sports. Also, the lack of cross-training in different planes uh, and with enough weight can really lead to wear and tear. So usually making sure that you're moving in other planes beyond like forward or back and also just loading the joint in different positions is really what will promote longevity. Yeah, that makes sense for sure. So I imagine then for something like that, like there's probably a pretty specific, you know, set of movements and exercises you would do rather than just like generally recommend like a yoga or Pilates or something like that, that's going to be a little bit more general, but might, you know, encourage more hip mobility, strength, core, things like that. Um, but specifically when it comes to like people who are in desks, people who are on the bike a lot, you know, there's, is there like a set of hip exercises that you could almost like generally to prescribe to triathletes that would be really useful? Uh, yeah, I, I think there are, it's not even just triathletes. I think yeah. Almost everyone needs right. this. And, and that's what happens here in this space is like, you know, everyone benefits from kind of the system that we've implemented. Yeah. Um, we adopted uh, functional range systems, um, which is something that has been pretty popular in the last, um, you know, last few years, I'd say. Um, but, you know, we, we, teach a lot of um, joint CARS. CARS stands for controlled articular rotations. Okay. And that's just basically the concept of, you know, um, priming and the nervous system to know what the joint is, um, is like at the end of the range. Yeah. That way it can perform, right? So, um, so essentially you're taking a joint through its entire range but specifically moving along the border of the joint so the nervous system uh, can be familiar with it entirely um, and, and then is able to access what it needs to perform. Yeah, we're finding it's really the best way for our athletes to become strong and resilient at any given range of a joint. Um, and the best part is the joint cars can be completed at every joint daily and at the right dosage and intensity can be very effective. Specific to triathletes, um, I'd say regular and consistent mobility training and training with weights is, is really crucial. So to answer your question, there's really no best exercise, but yeah. rather like best practices. Yeah, that's cool. Another piece, especially with endurance sports, that seems pretty crucial. And it's something I feel like I'm having to really re-look at for myself is nutrition and diet, fueling, all that sort of stuff. I wonder, you know, is that something you get into with your coaching or do you, you know, 
just yeah, how 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 in depth do you get into that? I guess I'm curious. Um, that is something that we have like we have decided on on whether or not we want to touch mm-hmm. on, and a lot of it is because uh, it's so individualized. Yeah. You know, and it's so it's it's all really dependent on what how the person presents when they come in, and what they have access to. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, so the answer is actually no to mm-hmm. that. Um, we haven't really really um, taught people how to how to you know eat or drink specifically, mm-hmm. but um, you know, I, I think we do. I mean, we definitely touch on like how much that people should consume or. Or just we do ask those questions, mm-hmm. you know. If anything stands out, uh, we do address it, and we say, I mean, if it's if it's alarming, we are referring them out. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's definitely not that's not our scope at the moment. But we'll, you know, one day we'll have to be able to provide that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes sense. I, I mean, I imagine that you must have at least from your own experience a decent amount of sort of knowledge that you could generally guide somebody but like you said it is so individual and it depends on what they're doing active wise like sport wise and there's so many variabilities in it mm-hmm. but yeah it's like so there's so many diets and trends and like things that are very extreme and everyone can be very dogmatic about what they believe in and um you know it's it's such a tricky thing to navigate i feel like it's more emotionally charged than some of the other aspects of our sort of health and fitness as well. Yeah, yeah, I have to agree with you. I think like people are subject to what they read and what they come across mm-hmm. online, what kind of documentaries they're yeah. watching. And so, I mean, I, 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 I am, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've gone vegan for a little bit, you know, I've gone, uh, um, like vegetarian, plant-based, mm-hmm. um, and I've explored all of mm-hmm. that, you know, if I had my experiences, I could definitely share them, but I would, I would don't think, um, that's as far as I would go, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, but there's definitely like, definitely like do nots, you know, like there's definitely any of the things that you don't want people to do. And, um, when, when you start to see like athletes take on bad habits or not just paying attention, then it's, I think it's definitely our place to say something. Yeah. One of the things I've started to realize is probably more common than I thought it was and something I've probably been, I've done at different times is like under eating, you know, especially as I've kind of gone into like a more of a keto sort of leaning diet, it's really easy to not have too many carbs and the calories are lower. But then if you're training a lot, that's going to be pretty harmful, pretty fast. I feel like, is that something that you, you see with some of the endurance athletes or people in that space or are people generally pretty good about eating enough food um you know generally the, the people that come through our doors are, are uh pretty dialed mm-hmm. um so yeah i think like yeah and, and i think you know, honestly uh, uh, that's a that's a tough <laughs> question to kind of kind of follow up with because we honestly like, we don't we don't do a whole yeah. lot of that here so they're not bringing that to right. us too often um while it does come up in conversation um, you know, we're not, we're not seeing that that is impacting people's, um, performance at, like, here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, th- I saw, I think I saw at the studio, you guys have an infrared sauna. That's right. That's right. Are there other practices or, or things like that, that you 
generally use or encourage people, be it like a cold plunge or uh, crowd therapy or um, you know any other techniques like that that you find that do seem to benefit people? Yeah, Ryan, that's a, that's a tough question. I think like um, we had recovery services here, and I think compression therapy was like on the boots, and uh, we had the infrared sauna that that basically just uh, built. Um, you know, some of these modalities are are great, and we, we have all the other partners that we that are that offer cryofuel cryo. We have other partners that um, offer cryo uh, therapy. Um, but yeah, just, I think a lot of that is supplemental, mm-hmm. you know, I think, um, I don't think any of those things really kind of make or break. Yeah. Um, so we offer that as a, uh, as a way for people to, to recover. But, you know, I think a lot of the work really comes from, you know, the exercise and the programming and the training and all that stuff. Yeah, no, I think I agree with that too. That stuff is, it's more of a, like icing on the cake. Like if you're taking care of the other foundations then then it's great to add on but they're not gonna yeah make or break like you said um so the other kind of piece that i wanted to to touch on with you um and we kind of chatted really briefly about it um is sort of this you know sad increase in racism you know specifically in america and you know more specifically recently with the sort of asian community um you know, you're, you're a Asian American and, you know, grown, grown up in America, New York has been kind of, it seems like from what I understand, a bit of a focal point for a lot of this like increased violence. Um, you know, you shared some, some resources through Instagram that I thought was, it was helpful for me to read and dig into. And it's something I've been learning more about myself. You know, I, I spent a lot of time in growing up in Victoria and Vancouver, and there's a huge Asian population there. So I've always been, you know, immersed in, in these different cultures, but even with that, I'm, I'm aware that there's huge sort of undertones of, of racism and bias, um, you know, in different ways. And, you know, it's, it's something that I think a lot of us, especially white people are not that aware of, you know, so I'm curious to know a little bit more about your experience, you know, even, even growing up, if, if it was something that you're ever aware of, or if it's something that in retrospect you've sort of seen in a different light. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've definitely grew up with, you know, in, in communities where racism was a problem. Um, I definitely experienced like microaggressions, um, especially in like Princeton, mm-hmm. you know, and where it was like, um, I felt like it was predominantly white. Um, you know, if it, the, the, the different cultures and different um, the, a lot of the cultures are kind of divided, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So I, I grew up, you know, getting picked up and pick, picked on like in many ways. Yeah. Is it something, is it something that you were like aware of why that was happening when you were a kid? Like, did you talk about it with your parents or other people? Um, I would say it's, it's definitely something that I was aware of was happening. I don't think I really had the tools to address it. And I think being from, um, you know, an Asian culture, growing up in Asian culture, you know, we weren't um, really taught to be super vocal. You know, it was definitely something that, like, I dealt with 
um, I dealt with it, you know, internally for the most part. And so I, I knew it was happening, um, but, but didn't really know how to um, address it. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, that vocal point, I think is interesting because, and maybe this is a mass generalization, but it feels like a lot of sort of um, like Asian communities that have moved to America have been sort of deemed like this good immigration class because they've been happy to sort of assimilate and uh, in like nice ways. And I know a lot of people that I, that I've been friends with, you know, that are that grew up maybe are in a white community and they're one of the only Asian people. Like they always felt like they wanted to fit in and they would do sort of whatever possible to 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 do that, I guess. And so you know that would mean being less vocal about it, maybe, but. Yeah, it feels like now they're yeah. Uh, go ahead. No, that's that's exactly what happened. I feel like you know, uh, I think part of what happened when I grew up was my my parents being um, you know immigrants. They wanted to fit in as well, you know, and 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 not even for them as much as for us mm-hmm. probably. And so I think you know it was it was a bit of an emphasis to. To, to fit in and, and, and not necessarily to stand out. Um, and that was okay. I, I think that's, that what, that's kind of, uh, that's made me who I am in some ways too, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but that I think it stems from them wanting us to be American. And so a lot of the, the, our like traditions and even holidays, like, we didn't really celebrate as much as we did the American traditions and holidays. And so um, I think that's a, that was a, that was a piece of it. So, you know, know, basically just trying to fit in wherever I can, uh, wherever I could, Mm -hmm. like as a, as a kid was, was was really important, but you know, that, that, that also, um, that also was probably a reason why, you know, I was, I was getting picked on, you know, just not being able to stand out for myself when I was younger. Yeah. So, you know, with, you know, unfortunately what's gone on in the last year in, you know, America specifically, or especially, I guess, like how has that sort of made you, you know, reflect on that in a different way or sort of engage with that, you know, part of yourself with your sort of cultural heritage in in a different way? Um, yeah, you know, I, last year, you know, I, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what my voice was, mm-hmm. you know, as an Asian American male. And, uh, you know, I definitely spent some time talking to other people in the same position. And, um, and um, you know, it, it was definitely a little closer of like feelings, you know, from like rage, to, like confusion. So there's a lot of reflecting during the time when, when BLM was happening. Um, but, you know, I definitely like we thought it was important to just listen and do the research and continue to learn just like everyone else, you know. Um, and uh, I think that when Asian hate, the Asian hate crimes started to happen in these last few months, it definitely triggered some of these same feelings. But, you know, that it was different this time. Um, it was different because there was like a layer of violence and like like pure hate against, you know, my culture and my people. And so 
it helped me also kind of reflect on what was happening with the black community. And so there was definitely like identified with them just like that much more, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so, you know, the reality is like, I'm, I'm still processing it. Mm-hmm. I'm still processing it. And, and um, what I've, you know, what I've like made sure to do is you know, check on friends mm-hmm. that are kind of, you know, that might be feeling the same thing. Um, just start tough conversations, you know, wherever possible. Um, and just keep talking about it. And, and, and also just like listen to our leaders, you know, and, and there's, there are leaders, there's Asian uh, American leaders that, you know, that I think we can look to and, and, and uh, to figure out for, uh, you know, what, what direction we take and um, how do we feel and, you know, how do we, um, you know, how do we kind of react to this stuff? Um, yeah. I mean, more recently, you know, the, I've had to get pepper spray for my mom and my, 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 my parents actually. And, and at the same, around the same time, my, my parents were also just, they asked me for it. They asked me where to get pepper spray. Right. And that was like, that was like, that was, that was, uh, that was painful, yeah. you know? And, um, and, you know, it, it, again, this is another thing that kind of helped me realize like what people were actually dealing with, like from all the different communities. And so, um, that was, uh, you know, that, that's definitely something that that's going to kind of leave a mark and, and I'm, I'm hoping to kind of use that to, to learn more on what to do next, you know? Yeah, that definitely, you know, sounds like it hits home and when it get when it comes to your own parents in that way and yeah, it's, you know, hopefully that there's some, a lot of learning and growing that can come from it. It's really unfortunate and sad. But I think like you said, you know, just talking to more people that are feeling, or at least like maybe just having a similar experience, you know, I think if we just try and carry that ourselves, it can be, it's too much to carry by ourselves. We need to have those conversations. We need to connect with people and, and know that we're not alone, uh, whatever the, whoever we are, whatever the experiences that we're having, you know, um, those conversations can be so helpful. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a lot of uh, negativity that that has um, been. So there's a lot of negativity that's come from this, but I do think there is also a silver lining here. Um, you know, there's conversations that are starting that I, I don't think I would have ever started with some of the, the people that are around me. You know, and so. I think we lean into that and we, you know, continue like kind of figure this out together, you know? Yeah. As you've sort of leaned into some of those conversations, is there anything that's been sort of surprising with you in terms of like different people, maybe you're close with and how they react and, you know, I, I'm like even nervous to admit this, but like, so my fiance, she's half Filipino and, you know, she's, so this has been a topic at home, especially more recently. And, you know, I'd be lying if I didn't say at times I felt like defensive, like, well, I'm not, you know, doing that. And it's, you know, almost it, I drew a parallel to the injury where it's like, I need to like accept reality and be like, shit, like I am, you know, have been less than, you know, an optimal partner, um, or ally, you know, in different ways that I just had no idea. And maybe it's subtle, but, 
you know, really having to look at myself in that way. So I imagine, you know, depending on who you talk to, somebody could get really defensive. Somebody could really quickly be like, oh, you know what, you're right. Or I just didn't understand that. Um, so yeah, I was curious to know your experience in that sort of space. Um, yeah, my, my, my partner is white. Uh, she's, um, you know, been very open about uh, these topics. And so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of experiencing similar uh, dynamic, you know, where um, we've had to talk about some of these things, you yeah. know, and, um, and not necessarily, not necessarily surprising, to be honest, coming mm-hmm. from, um, you know, my background. I think it's been definitely like, you know, re- revealing in some ways, mm-hmm. um, in the best way possible. You know, mm-hmm. uh, some of these things just need to be ironed out. Yeah. And, um, and it's through a conversation. You can't just assume these things, like assume the other person understands, you know? Um, yeah. so it's, it's been really like, it's been really nice. Again, that's just a bit of the silver lining um, that I'm talking about. It's just like starting to kind of figure out like where people stand around, mm-hmm. around you and like in your mm-hmm. circle. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the other thing is like, I do think in New York city, we we're living a little bit of a bubble. Um, and so we see the racism and all that stuff on the news. Um, but like in my immediate circle, you know, I think it's, it's important that we check on each other. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not surrounded by, you know, uh, all Asian people, mm-hmm. you know, so we're not, I'm, I'm surrounded by a very diverse group of people. And so, um, I think sometimes we forget that, you know, there's people next to you that are dealing with something, you know, or mm-hmm. know somebody that's dealing with something and that. And so check on them, you know, and, uh, yeah, I think, I think that's, that's really important. You know, again, check on them, at least the conversation. I think that's the best thing you can do right now. Yeah, for sure. Well, I appreciate you sharing like your experience with that as well. Um, and yeah, I think, like you said, it's like just diving into those conversations, trying to be open-minded, open-hearted as much as possible. And like, it's through that increased awareness and better understanding that we become more compassionate and can do something about it, um, you know, with ourselves, with our communities. So maybe just to kind of wrap up, I'm curious to know, um, you know, we're kind of coming out of this pandemic in some respects, you know, I, I wonder, you know, what are you sort of looking forward to the rest of this year with, with yourself, with any running races, with, with motive, any sort of developments or projects there? Yeah, I think the, the, the thing that we're looking forward to most, I'd say, would be just to get get outdoors. Um, and and as much as we as much as we want to get, you know, stay come indoors, like bring the community indoors, you know. Um, so right now we're, we're reopening our doors for uh, classes, just much smaller, more intimate, and uh, and so that type of training like we're looking forward to um, just again, just bring people back in the space. Um, having a little traffic is nice. Um, also the, the outdoor stuff um, we've the last few years, we've been doing these um, long runs uh, through the summer from uh, Soho uh, or Nolito where our, uh, our, our spaces um, all the way out to Rockaway beach. And that's, anywhere between like 18 to like 22 miles. Um, mm-hmm. So we do a long run every once a month throughout the summer about for like five months. And so we are pumped to be able to <laughs> offer that again, um, yeah. you know, in a very safe 
way. Um, and, you know, we're hoping to get some brands involved as well and, and uh, brands to like also kind of like uh, produce these runs a little, a little differently. Um, mm-hmm. And so we're doing that. We're going, so we're, we're always looking forward to running out to the beach. Um, and then also um, uh, going upstate, going to local trails. Uh, we're we're going to be hosting some games in uh, some of these trail runs. So kind of developing a little bit of uh, that, that concept. Um, but yeah, you know, maybe even starting a cycling club. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I think like, I think that's what people are looking for is the most is just being outdoors and, and like nicer weather um, and yeah. doing it together. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the connection piece is, is going to be big in the next year you know i've seen this with cycling it's crazy i haven't got involved with like zwift and that sort of stuff but like the digital communities but i feel like you know one of my favorite things about cycling in the last five months has been meeting new people making some new friends and you know you go on a 20 mile run with somebody and you create a pretty cool bond just from that experience even if you don't talk to them a lot and i think that's one of the cool things about these sort of like endurance pursuits and doing it in groups yeah, yeah, that's definitely what we wanted to kind of harness, you know, and, and we wanted to cultivate this culture uh, and this community through endurance. And, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, it's been, it's been, uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. So we're looking forward to that this year. Cool. Well, I'm excited to see what you guys do and, um, you know, staying connected with, you, with, with yourself and, you know, maybe doing something, uh, as a part of this uh, road to 70.3 journey, maybe we can do like a little online class or something like that. Uh, it'd be fun if you're up for it. Yeah. I love that. Appreciate your time, man. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks again for your time, for, for sharing your story. And yeah, it was, it was fun. I'm stoked to be connected. Same here, dude. I hope you enjoyed this episode, whether you listen to it on Spotify, Apple, or through our website. It would be great to hear your feedback and thoughts. If you're able to leave a review, it'll really help us share the message and share the podcast with more people. Thank you.